So we looked at, as Brother Phyllis said, the sons of Abraham uh, in the first session, and now we are carrying on through the faithful lineage through Isaac, in whom Abraham's seed would be called. So we're now looking at the sons of Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Now there's a lot more detail in Genesis around these two than there is uh, around Isaac and Ishmael. Uh, we just picked out, didn't we, in Ishmael, there's this uh, passage that talks about persecution, how that works its way through the Bible, speaking of uh, the, the true believers and, and those who are not. And we saw the importance of us making decisions in our lives as to which seed we are going to be of, remembering, of course, that only one of those two seeds ends with an everlasting covenant. Um, and, and I want you to just come to Romans chapter 9, please, because um, this is... An incredible passage, really, in Romans chapter 9, that speaks of both Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and Esau. And it makes the very point that we were making in the first talk, which is kind of why we made the point, which is not all Israel are of Israel. That's what it says here. It says, Abraham had two sons. So yes, the Judaizers and those persecuting could say, we have Abraham as our father, and they were right to say that, but not in the way they meant it. They were of the wrong lineage to obtain the heirship, the sonship, and the everlasting covenant. Romans chapter 9, look at this um, passage here. Because what we, get, what we find here, as we'll see on the screen here, uh, we noted, didn't we, that Ishmael, through Mahalath, um, his daughter, married Esau in Genesis 20. Um, 8 verse 9 and, and we saw there that these two unfaithful uh, in simplistic terms lines um, were joined uh, and what we see here in Romans 9 is this look at verse 6 he says not as though the word of God has taken non-effect he says they are not all Israel which are of Israel. And what does that mean? Well, simply put, what that means is not every Jew is God's child. Not every Jew is of God's family. Not every Jew is of the seed of Jacob and will obtain the everlasting possession. In other words, whether you're a Jew, you have to still choose to follow God. Whether you're a Gentile, you still have to choose to follow God if you're going to obtain the everlasting covenant and the blessings that come with it. It says not all natural Israel are of spiritual Israel. It's how you might uh, interpret that verse 6. And so what Romans is saying to the Jewish and the Gentile world is exactly what we read in Galatians 3. There's neither Jew nor Greek, male or female, bond nor free. It says it doesn't matter whether you're Israel by nature, it matters that you're of Israel, you're spiritual Israel. Neither, verse 7, because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children? And that's the very point we make in the first talk, wasn't it? Just because you're of the children of Abraham by nature, it, it doesn't mean that you're all the seed of promise. And that same choice, that same battle, as we said, is alive with us in our lives and the choice is there with us in Isaac shall thy seed be called and that was the point we tried to make in the first talk is we all 
me, you, everyone, we have to choose whether we are Isaac, because in Isaac is God's seed, Abraham's seed called. Verse 8, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. So that's Galatians 4, isn't it? So that's Ishmael, those of the flesh. Remember that, it said, didn't it, uh, in Galatians 4? that Ishmael was born after the flesh. That was the phrase used, born after the flesh. So Romans 9 is using the same language. So what it's saying is, look, they which are the children of the flesh, you know, Galatians 4, Ishmael, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. And remember, Isaac in Galatians 4 was called the child of promise, the seed of promise. So there in that very verse, Romans 9 verse 8, you have the, the same two words used in the Galatians 4 allegory. Child of flesh, child of promise. It's the same two words that are used in the English, at least. And the point is being made very simply. You've got to choose to be God's child. Verse 9, for this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. This is the word of promise. This was an unnatural birth, so to speak. Yeah, that's the point. This was... This was a birth due to God, his promise, a spiritual birth, so to speak. But what connects this to our talk now, Jacob and Esau, is verse 10. Come to the next generation and you've got the same challenge, the same point to make. Verse 10, and not only this, in other words, just keep going, look at the next rivalry look at the next set of brothers in the the seed of isaac and abraham but when rebecca also had conceived by one even by our father isaac for the children being not yet born neither having done any good or evil that the purpose of god according to election might stand not of works but of him that calls verse 12 it was said to her it was said to her genesis 25 verse 23 the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And God makes the same distinction with Jacob and Esau that he did with Isaac and Ishmael. He said, one persecuted the other, and in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And he does the same here. He says, he says, I hate Esau. He says, you've got to be a Jacob. You've got to be an Isaac. Not an Ishmael or an Esau. I hate Esau, God says. It's strong language, but it's what it says. It's interesting, isn't it? We'll come to this shortly, but where's that verse coming from? Verse 13, Jacob I've loved, but Esau have I hated. Well, it comes from Malachi chapter 1, which is effectively, this is our Galatians for this talk, the book of Malachi. It picks up Jacob and Esau. And, And we'll look at that later, but just to set the context, I've loved you, says the Lord to Israel in Malachi. Yet ye say, wherein have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob and I hated also. And Romans picks that up and says, there you go, look, you've got to choose to be a Jacob. That's the very point made in Malachi, the very point we're going to see in Genesis in a minute. I hated Esau and I laid his mountains as his heritage, wastes for the dragons of the wilderness. And of course, out of Esau came Edom, who have persecuted the Jews since this time, since the time of Genesis. It, from Mount Seir, 
they have persecuted their brother. It's the same theme as Isaac and Ishmael. Every generation, including our generation in 2021. I keep saying that. It's, we're still in 2020, aren't we? Anyway, so I'm a year ahead of myself. But here in 2020, this same rivalry has taken place, isn't it? God still hates Esau and still loves Jacob. God still is going to give the kingdom to those of Isaac and not Ishmael. And this is the rivalry we've been talking about. Romans 7 verse 21. If you flick back, don't worry if you don't want to. Romans 7 verse 21. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. This is the rivalry between Jacob and Esau, Isaac and Ishmael, between flesh and spirit that's within us, each one of us. And God says, in Isaac is my seed. And I love Jacob. Well, Let's go back to Genesis and chapter 25 before we then go into the book of Malachi and see how Malachi uses this rivalry. And this truly, truly is a rivalry, these two. These two. And it wasn't just their rivalry between them. There was a family division, wasn't there? Rebecca aligned to Jacob and Isaac aligned to Esau. And I want you to note in Genesis 25, you, you remember how we said about Ishmael, it was important what we first learnt about him, that his hand would be against every man and every man's hand against him. We said it was important what was first said about Jacob, sorry, about Isaac, which was that an everlasting covenant would be made with him and his seed. Well, it's equally important what we first learn here in Genesis 25 about these two because it sets the tone for not just their history as brothers, but as the history of their descendants. Genesis 25, 21. Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived, and the child and the children struggled together. That's Romans 7, isn't it? I find then a law in my members that when I would do good, evil is present with me. A struggle. So you know how we said Ishmael and Isaac's relationship was um, summarised in the New Testament by the word uh, persecution. Well, Jacob and Esau's relationship is going to be um, pulled together by the phrase struggle. Notice that. Verse 20. The children struggled together within her and she said if it be so why am i thus so she inquired of the lord notice that the two are struggling remember when we pull this together this is a battle between good and evil flesh and spirit well this relationship is epitomized by struggle verse 23 the lord said unto her two nations are in thy womb and Please log the next phrase. This is what we were trying to get across in the first talk. This isn't just two nations, although it is. This is two manner of people. Yeah. 
That's what God says, isn't it? Two nations, you know, two different types of people are in your womb. It's like Paul. In Galatians saying, I don't know what I'm having. I don't know which manner of person I'm giving birth to in Galatia. And notice this, and this we must remember and take away. Two manner of peoples shall be separated from the womb. How important is that to just remember that these two must be separate. They must be separated. A choice must be made. The two can't live together. The two must not cohabit. That's why Ishmael was cast out. Cannot abide with the sun and the air. God says you've got to choose. You can't mix these two things, the flesh and the spirit, the world and the things of God. You have to choose. Two manner of people are in your womb. They must be separate. The one people will be stronger than the other and the elder shall serve the younger. And of course we said that that was there taken from Romans. And then also then, of course, Malachi was being quoted. And, and that's so important. And then when we move forward to verse 28, notice what else we learn of these two manner of people. It's not just two brothers here, is it, young people? This is two manner of people. Verse 27, the boys grew. And Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a plain man, upright man, sincere man, dwelling in tents. Remember what Hebrews says about those who dwell in tents. They have no continuing city. They're sojourners waiting for Jerusalem, which is to come. This is Isaac. Sorry, this is Jacob. And this is Esau. Verse 28. And this is what Malachi picks up. Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. Isaac loved Esau. Interesting phrase. Interesting phrase. Isaac loved Esau while they were young. But then he had to grow and change and make that separation, make that division there. And so we come to verse 30. Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage. I am faint, therefore was his name called Edom. And here we have the beginning of the Edomites, who would uh, be opponents to Israel, the Israeli Arab conflict, the struggle that goes on there with its beginnings here. And so we move forward to Genesis 27. So, so much there in Genesis 25 that God wants us to just learn from as we look at these two siblings. Genesis 27, so a conflict ensues. Uh, we know it's Jacob's deception, don't we, with the help of his mother, uh, deceiving his father Isaac in order to get Esau's birthright and to get his blessing. Genesis 27, let's go into verse 27. He came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, see the smell of my son is as the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore God Give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and, and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee. That's the promise to Abraham, isn't it? Genesis 12, uh, 18. And so Genesis 12 and verse 3. And this blessing is given. But look at the rivalry here between the two, both wanting the blessing, a birthright. But through 
Jacob would come this seed. Look at verse 35. He said, thy brother came in by subtlety, deceitfully, and hath taken away thy blessing. Taken away the blessing. Verse 38. Esau said to his father, hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice. Look at the mess, so to speak, going on here. Look, look at Look at these siblings fighting, vying for these blessings from God. This is a true rivalry. Now look down at verse 42. So, so Jacob takes the blessing and notice this, verse 41, Esau hates Jacob. It's very different, isn't it, to Jacob loving Esau. And as they grow up, they realise the division that must, that must take place in their lives. Two manner of people must be separated. And so as they grow and, be, and grow in maturity, they both come to the realisation that these two cannot dwell together. These two lines must not merge. Verse 31. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And so a persecution now comes because of the blessings of God. Now that reminds us of the first session, Isaac, in Ishmael, doesn't it? Persecution might come on us, mocking because of the blessings we have in Christ. Because his father had blessed him, and Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, then I will slay my brother Jacob. <clears throat> so this rivalry got so bad that there was a, an intent of murder. Cain and Abel springs to mind. They hate each other that much. That's how divergent they are in their ways. And so verse 42, these words of Esau, her um, eldest son, were told to Rebekah, and she sent and called Jacob, her youngest son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, and arise, flee to Laban, my brother, to Haram. Tarry with him a few days, 20 years, by the way, until thy brother's fury turn away, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget what you've done to him, then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be betrayed, also of you both, in one day? And so we fast forward 20 years now into Genesis 32. 20 years apart. Much change, no doubt. Genesis 32. And the so-called reconciliation is going to take place. But it, it's not. It doesn't work. Notice it's, it's a phenomenal passage, these two chapters, Genesis 32 and 33. Bearing in mind, these are blood brothers. They're basically both um, set up for, for a battle. Verse 3. Joab sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying... Thus shall you speak unto my Lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob has said, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen and asses, flocks and manservants, women servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. Because of Esau and his persecution against Jacob, Jacob's completely consumed with worry 
about what his brother is going to do to him. So he goes, he says, oh, it says to his servant, saying, go and say to my Lord Esau, your servant Jacob. This is all wrong, isn't it, in God's plan and purpose? The younger, the elder will serve the younger. This is all wrong. This isn't right. This is trying to merge the lines. And, and so, verse 6, the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to thy brother Esau and he, ca- he comes to meet thee, oh, by the way, with 400 men with him. He's coming to battle, Jacob. He's coming to kill you. Great. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people that was with him, the flocks and the herds and camels into two bands. He splits his people into two and says, if Esau comes to the one company and smite it, then, well, we've still got another company. So basically, admit, he basically gears up for losing half of his people rather than all of them. And this is happening between these two brothers. This is a proper sibling rivalry. You, you may be sitting more comfortably at home now, knowing, I would have thought at least, that we've never quite got to this point. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is bad, right? This is, this is hatred. And so this persecution will now take place of the seed of Abraham, of the seed of Isaac. Deliver me, verse 11, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and smite me in the mother with the children. I fear him. He fears persecution. It's a bit like Peter in Galatians 2. Who refused to eat with the Gentiles, fearing those of the circumcision. This is what these two brothers have come to. Verse 13. He lodged there the same night and took of that which came to his hand. And he then wants to give this present to him. And, and, and the, the verses go on and on and on. And uh, we won't ponder on all of them. But what is in, in, entirely unexpected as these two struggle. These two manner of people that must be separated. They try and come back together, don't they? They try and find some form of unity. And it can't take place. But notice what does happen. It's shocking, really. Genesis 33, verse 4. Well, before we go there, I should just say, um, as Jacob gears up to meet Esau the next day, verse 24 uh, to 32 in Genesis 32 take place where Jacob wrestles with a man an angel and prevails and this great lovely passage where you have victory in struggle is the message you will struggle Jacob your life will be a struggle your thigh might be out of joint but you will prevail There's victory in submission to God is what he learned there. And then his name's changed to Israel here. So we mentioned that. And then we come to Genesis 33 and verse 4. And the most unexpected scene, one of the most unexpected scenes in scripture perhaps then takes place, given the build-up we've just had. Verse 4, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. This is the sort of thing of David and Jonathan, isn't it? Not Jacob and Esau. And so you scratch your head and you think, well, what's going on here? Why is there this reconciliation between flesh and spirit in symbol and allegory? Well, no one thought this would happen. And then, but then a dialogue takes place where Jacob insists that Esau takes a gift. 
Esau refuses to take the gift, but finally does take it. But then Jacob evidently does not trust his brother's favor, does he, to continue for long. So he makes excuses to avoid traveling to Mount Seir later in the chapter with his brother. Didn't want to go with his brother. And he further evades Esau's attempt to put his own men among Jacob's bands in verse 15 and 16. And finally completes the deception of his brother by going to Sukkoth and then to Shalem, which is a city in Shechem, instead of following Esau to distance like he said he would. So this was no reconciliation. This was Jacob just scared for his life because of persecution. Ishmael will persecute Isaac. Esau will persecute Jacob. Because that's where the promise is. That's where the seed lies. That's where the everlasting covenant is made. That's where Jerusalem is to come finds its rest and so this so-called reconciliation is nothing more than superficial temporary and a multitude of deceptions as these two manner of people must be separated well we come to malachi chapter one then together if, if we don't mind for a few moments because just like galatians picks up on the on, on, on isaac and ishmael and, ta- and brings out lessons for us and our lives and our decisions that if we are going to be Abraham's seed, we have to first put on Christ in baptism and then we can be Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. We cannot be Abraham's seed if we do not put on Christ. And so Malachi is similar. Let's look at Malachi 1 verse 2 and 3 just to set our context. I've loved you, says the Lord. You say, wherein have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. And now we're going to have a little discussion in Malachi about these two brothers and their hatred one of the other. But, but, but why? And what you'll notice is this seems to be, doesn't it, more severe than Isaac and Ishmael, sort of without making light of it. With Isaac and Ishmael, it was described as a, a bit of mocking which is then in Galatians described as persecution so, so we, we don't make light of it but this is hatred this is gathering 400 men against your brother to kill him once you've finished mourning your father this is a whole different level and so Malachi is a different level to Galatians the depravity the evil in Malachi as it comes out warrants a Jacob and Esau rather than an Isaac and an Ishmael. Well, Malachi 1 verse 2 and 3 that we've just read there, as as you can see on the screen, was, or is, quoted in Romans 9 and taken from Genesis 25. So we're supposed to make a connection between Genesis, Malachi and Romans. It's sort of there for us. So I have to set the context of Malachi for you, don't I? And I think it will become clear quite why these brothers are needed here in Malachi. Well, actually, yeah, if you also just look at Malachi 2 verse 12, the reference there to to Jacob, the the tabernacle of Jacob, and then chapter 3 and verse 6 talks of, um, I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. So it's not just this one reference in Malachi 1, we have it throughout these references to Jacob. Well, the book of Malachi itself is is structured of six oracles, um, which the first one we've just read part of, which is God's love for Israel in chapter 1, verse 2 to 5. 
we, we then have um, chapter 1, verse 6 to verse 9, which is all about the priesthood and the warnings of a corrupt priesthood. The third oracle is all about mixed marriages and divorce in chapter 2, verse 10 to 16. Um, and then chapter 2, verse 17 to chapter 3, verse 6 is this so-called problem of God's justice. The people in Malachi's day did not like God's justice. Then the, the fifth oracle is chapter 3, verse 7 to 12, which is all about the people's sin of robbing God, tithes and offerings and, and offering him the lame animals, the blind rather than the best and then and then, and then really chapter 3 verse 13 to, to chapter 4 verse 3 is uh, picks up on bad attitude arrogancy uh, and, and, and humility on, on the opposite end of the spectrum there and this is how the book is broken up into these six different oracles and it's speaking to the people but but if we just put it into a time context it's really important because it, it fits into the book of Malachi uh, Nehemiah and really I just want to map and this is, you'll see why I'm doing this in a minute, so just bear with me, to map the life of Nehemiah onto the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, because what we'll find in Nehemiah is he, he has two comings, his first coming and his second coming. And Malachi, I'll give the game away now, Malachi is written in between the first coming and the second coming of Malachi, which is why it's critically important for us to understand why Jacob and Esau is written about here, because we live in between the first and second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means Jacob and Esau is written for us. Those in between the first and second comings is written for us. God hates Esau, and we need to understand that. So, so Nehemiah then in chapter 2 comes to Jerusalem, and he finds it in a state of ruin. This is his first advent, okay? And he came, didn't he, from the king. And you think of the Lord Jesus Christ sent by God, comes to Jerusalem, finds it in a spiritual ruin. His first advent, you remember he went into the temple, etc. And, and he found it in a state of ruin, a spiritual ruin rather than literal ruin, which is what Nehemiah found. So what does Nehemiah do in chapter 3 to 12? Well, he deals with the problems, the trials of sin. Tobiah represents sin. He establishes an ecclesia. He builds this, the ecclesial walls for protection, for boundary fellowship he effectively establishes an ecclesia on true principles which is of course what the lord did in in his first coming he dealt with problems he dealt with sin established the ecclesia built the walls of of, of ecclesial life and then he nehemiah went back to the person who initially sent him didn't he he went back to the king at the end of his time at the end of chapter 12 and and of course the lord jesus at the end of his first coming, went to heaven, to God who had sent him first. And so then is this stage here. Interestingly, Nehemiah is then absent for a period of time. We do not know, undefined, and it's deliberately undefined. The time period between the first and second coming is not defined and never will be. It wasn't for Nehemiah. In between chapter 12 and 13 is when Malachi is prophesying. After Nehemiah is gone and before he comes back, because you know, Nehemiah is going to come back and he's going to judge the people. And actually, when you think about it, Malachi 3 verse 1 says, Behold, I will send my messenger 
and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. That was Nehemiah, wasn't it? God sent the messenger. Who was the messenger? Malachi. The word Malachi means messenger. I will send Malachi, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, Nehemiah, who you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And when he comes back in chapter 13, where does he go? Straight to the temple to cast out Tobiah. And he is the messenger of the covenant. Nehemiah is. So the point of saying this to you all is Malachi was written to prepare the people for the second coming of Nehemiah. That's why Malachi was written, to prepare them for the coming of the messenger of the covenant. And that has echoes for us, doesn't it? We must prepare for the second coming of our Lord. And so we must understand what Malachi says to those preparing for the second coming. And so then in chapter 13, Nehemiah does come back to the second time to Jerusalem, straight to the temple. And we're told that, aren't we, of the Lord's return, that he'll go straight to the temple straight to the ecclesia ye are the temple of the living god and then well what what does nehemiah find well he finds it in a desperate state he goes straight to the temple the lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and what are we told in 1 peter 4 judgment begins at the house of god that's what happened in nehemiah judgment began in the temple in the house of god some are blessed in nehemiah some are not and so Nehemiah 13 really represents the future judgment of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we must understand what Malachi is saying and why it's referencing these two brothers and their rivalry. And so here's our period. The time when our Lord is in heaven for an undefined period of time. That's the time Malachi wrote. So we must sit up as we prepare to meet our Lord, the messenger of our covenant. Why does it describe Nehemiah as the messenger of the covenant? Well, it's because in Nehemiah 10, he made a covenant with the people. Not to marry foreigners, to keep the Sabbath and the year of release, to keep the voluntary yearly offerings for the upkeep of the temple, to keep the wood offerings, to offer the first fruits to God, to provide a portion to the Levites. All detailed in Nehemiah 10, verse 30 to 37. Nehemiah was the messenger of this covenant. And the point being, young people, Nehemiah made a covenant with the people that they signed up to. And when he came back the second time, his purpose was to judge them according to the covenant that they had signed up to. You'll see that in Nehemiah 13. Every single one of those items you will find in Nehemiah 13 because he's coming to judge them based upon the covenant they made. And, and that is our lives as we make a covenant with our God to serve him to be his people to be his children he will send his son the messenger of the covenant and we will stand before him in judgment to give an account of the things we have done and notice that column there of Malachi every one of those items of that covenant you will find in some form in the book of Malachi because what Malachi is doing is reminding the people of the covenant they made with their God. And that's so important. And then Nehemiah judged them on that covenant. And Jacob and Esau were critical to this. What did Nehemiah do when he came back? Three times we're told he contended with the people. Three times we're told he cleansed purified the Levites and then we're told four times that he would be remembered 
that he would remember those of faith. This is the purpose of our Lord when he comes back, the second time without sin unto salvation, to contend, to cleanse, and to remember. A book of remembrance is being written. And the purpose of the Jacob and Esau analogy is when the Lord comes back to his temple, when judgment begins at the house of God, where will you be? On Esau's side or Jacob's side? On Ishmael's side or Isaac's side? Because there's an everlasting covenant made with just one of those groups and to their seed. And this is what Nehemiah is picking up for us. So we've seen, let's have a look then in, into Malachi. That sets the context for the book of Malachi. Uh, and I, I just want to um, go through the, the book of Malachi very quickly, just for ten, five or so minutes, five or ten minutes, just to see how important Jacob and Esau are in this story. So there's three tables of connections here. I'm going to go through them quickly because the purpose isn't really as to go through these connections um, to look at them individually, but I just need to point out to you how that the book of Malachi relies upon Jacob and Esau a lot more than just the reference to it in chapter one. So you'll notice, for example, Malachi 1 verse 6, it says the son honours his father. And we're told in Genesis 28 verse 7 that Jacob honoured and obeyed his father and mother. We're told it speaks of the face of God in chapter 1. Uh, and, and verse 9. And Genesis 32, verse 30, Jacob says, I've seen the face of God. Malachi 1, verse 9, appeals for God to be gracious to us. And Genesis 33, verse 5, the same comment is made, God has graciously given. So you can see it's the direct quotations, but also the subtle references Malachi 1 verse 11 speaks of the rising of the sun. And again in Genesis 32, the sun rose upon Jacob. It's, why does it say it? Why are these passages connected? Because in the Ecclesia in Nehemiah's day, just before the second coming of the governor, there were some Esau's in the Ecclesia that God was desperate would turn into Jacob's. Malachi 1 verse 11 talks about to the going down of the same. And again, Genesis 28, the sun was set. And these in themselves might be small connections, but Malachi 1 verse 12 says, it talks about, um, you have profaned it, he says to his people. And it was Esau who was described in Hebrews 12 as a profane person. Speaks of the tearing of beasts. Talks in Malachi 1.13 of the lame. And we're told that Jacob halted on his thigh, and that means he was lame because of it. Malachi 1 verse 14 talks of the deceiver. Curse be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male. Genesis 27 verse 4, I will seem to him as a deceiver. We're told there in that deception story in Genesis 27. Malachi 2 verse 6, iniquity was not found in his lips. Numbers 23 says, he would not behold iniquity in Jacob. Malachi 2 verse 10 talks about him treacherously dealing against his brother well if there's ever a story to speak of treachery against your brother then it's genesis 27 when my father is the days of the morning of my father are done then i will slay my brother 
chapter 2 verse 11 talks about marrying the daughter of a strange god and we know of course Esau married the daughter of Ishmael chapter 2 verse 13 of Malachi talks of tears and weeping and crying but there was no repentance there in Israel at this time Hebrews 12 says of Esau though he sought carefully with tears but there was no repentance you can see this there's more to this than meets the eye in Malachi and there's a point to all this which I'll come to in a minute Malachi 2 verse 14 was a witness talks about a witness between them and of course Genesis 31 this heap is a witness and I could go on you'll see more there Malachi 2 7 speaks of wearying God Genesis 27 verse 46 I'm weary of my life because of the daughters but chapter 3 verse 5 to oppress the hiling in his wages and of course um Jacob's wages were changed 10 times weren't they in Genesis 31 talks of tithes talks of wind the windows of heaven Genesis 28 the gate of heaven Malachi 3 12 all nations will call you blessed Genesis 28 blessed of Abraham the blessing of Abraham is given to Jacob and then finally there chapter 1 verse 6 Malachi is told that the people are despising God's name and the birthright there was despised by Esau and what you can see just from that is Malachi's a little book but reference after reference after reference you find yourself back in Genesis 27 28 29 in that sort of section of scripture <clears throat> and it goes beyond that young people and this is this is really what I want to point out to you it's very much where we began not all Israel are of Israel the point of Malachi is to say the house of Jacob have turned into Esau. That's the whole purpose of Malachi, to say, look, you've changed. You've become Esau. You've changed the allegiance. You've become like your brother. That was the same, wasn't it? In Galatians with Isaac and Ishmael, you know, you Isaacs, through persecution, you're sort of turning into Ishmael. And I don't know who I'm giving birth to. But notice this. These are stark contrasts. Ezekiel 35, verse 5 of speaking of Edom, who are the descendants of Esau, says they had a perpetual hatred of Jacob. And Malachi 2 says that he dealt treacherously against his brother. But that was talking of, it, of Israel, of Jacob. Jacob had become like Edom and Esau, who hated his brother. He despised the birthright, didn't he, Esau? But it's Israel, Jacob, in Malachi 1 verse 6, who are despising God's name. Esau and Edom, uh, we told in Obadiah verse 10, had violence to his brother Jacob. They were violent to their brother. Well, Israel, Jacob are told in Malachi 2 verse 16 that they've covered violence as with a garment. They're copying the behavior of their brother. It was Genesis 36 where Edom, Esau, married the daughters of the Canaanites. But now it's Israel, Jacob marrying the daughter of a strange God. There's no place of repentance for Esau. In Malachi 3 verse 7, it's Jacob asking, wherein shall we return? And there's no repentance there. It's Genesis 27, it's Esau, Edom crying with a great and exceeding bitter cry. But now in Malachi 2, it's Israel, Jacob covering the altar of the Lord with tears. Esau said, what profit is the birthright to me? In Genesis 25. But now it's Jacob, Israel asking in Malachi 3 14, what profit is it that we keep? this ordinance do you see the point this book of Malachi is resting on the story of Jacob and Esau and saying to Israel 
stop behaving like Esau and turn to God before Nehemiah comes the second time to bring judgment to the house of God. And that is our exhortation, young people. Before our Lord comes, let's turn to him and follow in the line of Isaac, follow in the line of Jacob and take hold, grasp hold of the everlasting covenant that God has promised to those who follow the seed of Abraham before the second coming was the exhortation for Malachi. Change, repent. Do whatever you've got to do before the messenger of the covenant comes. Without delay. Malachi 3 verse 6 says, I am the Lord. He says, I change not. Therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. What this means is, even though Jacob turned to Esau for a time, even though Jacob continues to sin, as we all do, God says, I'm, I'm not going to change. He says, if you repent, you will not be consumed. That's God's promise to us. Romans 11 says, so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. You see, that's God's desire for you and for me, that we might be Jacob and that ungodliness might turn away from us. This is my covenant, God says, unto them, Jacob, when I shall take away their sins. That's God's promise to you, young people, to take away sins if we grasp hold of his covenant in baptism. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the father's sakes. Jacob and Isaac are beloved for the sake of Abraham. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And so we're told in Hebrews 12, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And so as we just conclude, the lesson of these two sibling rivalries and how God uses them in the New Testament and in Malachi, in each generation since the beginning of time, there are these two opportunities and options for us. Those of faith and those of flesh. Each child of God with its faults and failings, each requiring repentance and forgiveness each willing to endure persecution and a daily battle with themselves to choose whether we follow the ways of God or not. This battle is waging today in our lives, in our families, in our ecclesias. Let's learn the lessons of these two sets of brothers and in particular how God uses them in Malachi and in Galatians to speak to our hearts and our minds of what we need to do to be heirs of this promise, sons of Abraham. And we must put on Christ. Finally, you'll remember in Galatians what our lives were all about. The reason Saul of Tarsus was converted to become the Apostle Paul was that God might be manifest in him, revealing the character of God. And so what is said of 
Esau. Look at that last line there. He was a grief unto Isaac and to Rebekah. That's those of Esau, a grief of mind. And that's surely not what we want to inflict on our God as we make our choices as to our relationship with him. And so these two verses, by faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, not with Ishmael and Esau, but with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And if there's a takeaway from these two sessions, it's that if we choose to be an Isaac, if we choose to be a Jacob, then we are heirs with Abraham of the same promise. Acts 7 says, I am the God of thy fathers. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this is how God views Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Notice this in Luke 20. It says, now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this is the point I want you to take away, young people. He is not the God of the dead but of the living for all living. And what God is saying in Luke 20 is, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive, though they're dead. That's what he says. That's why God, when God appeared to Abraham, uh, Moses in the bush and said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were long dead by then. But God says, no, no, no. I said Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to, you, to Moses because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. For all who are of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are alive unto God. And surely that's where we want to be, young people. This is what Luke 13 says of the kingdom that's to come. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. And you yourselves just ponder this passage in your own time. Do you want to be there, thrust out, or there with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Choose to be an Isaac. Choose to be Jacob. My final passage to you is really an appeal. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, let's consider what manner of persons we ought to be in all holy conversation and godliness. We've got these two uh, brothers to look at this evening uh, and, and really uh, there's two things I want to do first of course look at them and, and the relationships that they had in Genesis but then really then to move on and see there's two particular passages in scripture uh, that deal with the, these two relationships um, one about Isaac and Ishmael in the New Testament and one about Jacob and Esau later 
in the Old Testament. And what, what I want to do really is to look at these brothers, but then also to see how God uses them and their relationship um, to talk about us and lessons for us. And as Brother Phil said, many of you, I'm sure, have siblings. I certainly have a few. And, and the, the relationships are interesting, aren't they? You know, they, they have their ups and their downs. And, uh, and these two relationships we're going to look at here are, are quite different to that, in a sense, because in a sense, they're quite serious relationships. Um, when we look at the hatred between Jacob and Esau, for example, or the persecution that Isaac inflicted, uh, sorry, Ishmael inflicted upon Isaac. And when we look in, in our Bibles uh, at these two brothers, we see that they and their descendants formed a pattern. And they also um, set the tone for histories that would happen between the nations that would come from them. From Isaac and Jacob would come the nation of Israel, the Jews, and from Ishmael and Esau, and the Arab nations that in the Middle East that surround the Jews there. Um, and and the, there's a theme, isn't there, in Genesis particularly, but throughout the Bible, of, of the younger son prevailing over the older siblings, with the younger usurping the older and, and, and getting the birthright and the inheritance. For example, um, you know, sibling rivalry um, resulted in the first murder in human history, with Cain taking Abel's life. And then Ishmael persecuted Isaac, as we'll see. Esau plots against Jacob, and Jacob plots against Esau, and they bring armies against each other. Joseph is sold by his brothers and mistreated by them, isn't he? And so what we learn from this is that there's a pattern set, and that's what we want to look at. And when we look at these two brothers, if you just look at the screen here, we have, of course, the first talk, Ishmael and Isaac, uh, the sons of Abraham, and then coming from Isaac, we have Esau and Jacob. And, and so we'll focus now on, on Ishmael and Isaac. And I wonder if you could come with me to the book of Galatians and chapter 4, because it's Galatians 4 that talks to us about this relationship between these two brothers, uh, and in particular the lesson that God wants us to learn from it and the lesson he, through the Apostle Paul, wanted the Galatians to, to learn from it. And the Galatians, which is one of the early letters, I believe, um, in the first century after the ascension of the Lord Jesus. And, and here in Galatians, we have a, a difficult ecclesia because we have Jews or, uh, and the Judaizers, those who were convinced that the Mosaic law must be followed, as well as the traditions that were added to it. Uh, and that they were a better race than the Gentiles who were dogs. But then you also had, well, what did you have? You had those who had converted Jews who had converted to Christianity, the gospel of Christ. You had Gentiles who have also converted. So you have in this ecclesia here, or these ecclesias, I should say, in Galatia, uh, this conflict. Uh, and the Apostle Paul, when he pens this epistle, uses the conflict between Ishmael and Isaac, to demonstrate the point. So let's just read that. We're going to read a few verses here. And this is the reason we didn't have an introductory reading. It's because we were just about to read it again. Uh, so here we are in Galatians. We're in chapter four. Okay. And we are going to start at verse 19. And I'll come back to the context in Galatians later. So, so don't worry about the context because we will cover that later. 
but P Paul here, spirit guided, is partway through an argument and he comes to a point, the pinnacle actually of the epistle. And, and he says in verse 19 of Galatians 4, he says, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. And so the apostle Paul here, it's as if, and it's a strange analogy, I know. It's as if he is a woman giving birth. He is in labor pains and he doesn't know if he's giving birth to Isaac or if he's giving birth to Ishmael. And he's worried, he's concerned. That though they have been converted and baptized, that they're going to go back to, back to their old way. And so he says, look, he says, I'm travailing in birth. And he says, I'm going to keep travailing in birth until Christ is formed in you, until I am convinced that you are indeed of Isaac and not of Ishmael who persecuted Isaac. And then notice what he says. He says in verse 20, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, you that desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? So he speaks then specifically to the Judaizers in the, in, the, in the Ecclesia here in Galatia, the ones who were bringing the persecution, those who were the Isaacs persecuting the converted Ishmaels in, in this allegory. And he says to them, you know what? He says, Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. He said, well, and, he, and what, what he now does, he contrasts these two brothers. And this is the point, isn't it? He says, well, one was by a bondmaid. The other was by a free woman. So one was of Hagar, one was of Sarah. Then he says, but he that was born of the bondwoman, so Ishmael born of Hagar, was born after the flesh, he says. And that's the point. But he of the free woman, Isaac, of Sarah, was by promise, this miracle birth. So that was by promise, not by natural means, not by the flesh. And he's contrasting these two. And he says, look, we all have a natural birth. We all have a fleshly birth. But, but the point is in our lives, we need a spiritual birth as well. We need to be born of promise as well as being born of the flesh. Isn't it? It's an interesting point. And then notice what he says. He says, these things are an allegory. He says, the life of Ishmael and Isaac and their relationship, he says, is an allegory. It's a lesson for us. It's like a parable as well as being real. And he says, these are two covenants. We'll come back to the detail later. Two covenants. The one is from Mount Sinai, which genders to bondage, which is Hagar. So bondage under the law, the Judaizers here, those of Ishmael. And then he says, well, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answers to Jerusalem that is now and is in bondage. So he says, the Ishmael line not the natural Ishmael line of Arabs, but the spiritual Ishmael line, those who are of flesh and who follow flesh, he says, are in bondage. They're in bondage, not free. Like the Isaacs, those who have turned to God and had the spiritual birth. And then notice verse 26, Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all, he says. And notice verse 27, it is written, Rejoice thou barren Sarah, that bearest not, break forth and cry, that thou travailest not. For the desolate hath more children than she which has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. And, and the epistle that's being written here is building up to this verse 28 saying, you in Galatia, we here in 2021, we need to be Isaacs. We need to be children of promise, born of, the, born of promise by the free woman, born into Christ, having put on Christ. 
And then it says, those who follow the flesh in their lives, verse 29, as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. And he's speaking in Galatia going, you know who is Ishmael and you know who is Isaac. You see, if the Judaizers persecuting the Christians, well, that's Ishmael persecuting Isaac. So you can define them. You know them by their works, he says. And he says, if you see the Judaizers persecuting the Christians, or if you are persecuted by a Judaizer, he says, then hold on, keep going, have patience, have endurance, because that means you're Isaac. That means you're born into the promise. You've had a spiritual birth. And then verse 30, this is a critical verse. Nevertheless, what did the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman, Hagar, and her son, Ishmael. For the son of the bondwoman, those who follow the flesh, will not be heirs with the Isaacs. And it's an appeal to the Galatians. Don't give in to persecution. Stay as Isaac. Hold true to your faith and your beliefs. That's the allegory of Isaac and Ishmael. Then it says in verse 31, so then, and it's an exhortation to, to, to me and to you young people, verse 31, so then, brethren, young people, all of us, we are not children of Hagar, but we're from Sarah. We are born of freedom, born into Christ. And therefore, verse one, terrible chapter break, really. Verse one, therefore, stand fast in the freedom that we have in Christ, who has made us free. And let's not get entangled with the yoke of bondage. Don't go back to the law. That was the message to the Galatians. So you can see already, just in Galatians, that Isaac and Ishmael are going to represent to us two types of people, not Jews and Arabs, although that is the natural descent, but two types of people within the ecclesia, or it might be the conflict that goes on in our own lives. There's some, excuse me, there's some days, aren't there, that we probably are more like Ishmael than we are like Isaac. We probably at times, maybe more often than we'd like to admit, perhaps, we follow Ishmael, we follow the flesh, rather than being the children of promise. And a conflict goes on in our minds day to day, it's not, like, it's not like young people, is it, brothers and sisters, that we're baptised one day and then we are therefore saved. There is a conflict that takes place between Isaac and Ishmael in our lives. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that of all the things that Galatians could have picked out from the life of Isaac and Ishmael, it only picks out three things. Firstly... Verse 29 that you can see on the screen, it picks out that the one persecuted the other. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, and it's the same now. Secondly, we were told that one is born after the flesh, natural desires, and the other is born of promise, a spiritual birth, a miracle. Sarah, who could not have children, past childbearing age. And then the third thing we're told is that the one group, the Ishmael group, will be cast out and not be an heir with the Isaacs. So that the birth is different. Their lives are different. One persecutes the other and their destiny is different. One is cast out, one is not. One stays within the family. And we are beseeched, aren't we, as an audience to make a choice there in verse 31. Do not be. Children of the flesh, but of the bond woman. 
So, so let, let's go to the book of, well, actually, just before we go to Genesis, just come with me to Galatians chapter 2. Because we said, didn't we, what defines the relationship that, between these two, Isaac and Ishmael, is persecution. That's what Galatians picks up. And notice this um, in, in Galatians 2 verse 4. It says there, and again, don't worry about the context, but notice the problem in Galatia was persecution. The Judaizers against the Christians, verse 4. And that because the false brethren crept in unawares, who, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ. That's Galatians 5, 1, isn't it? Don't lose that liberty, it says in Galatians 5, verse 1, that they might bring us back to the law, back into bondage. Then notice verse 12. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were of the circumcision, fearing the Judaizers, fearing those of the flesh, as it were, in the allegory. There's a persecution going on in Galatia, which is why it references Isaac and Ishmael. Well, with that in mind, let's come back to Genesis. Let's just have a look at these boys, if we can call them that, these great uh, patriarchs, great descendants here in Genesis chapter 17. Let's go in at 17, because that's where we have um, Isaac. So in summary so far, two types of people. That's what we're looking at, two types of people. That's what God uses these brothers, this relationship, this rivalry, this persecution. He uses it to represent two types of people. Notice Genesis 17. Come back to Genesis 17, verse 19. This is the first time we come across Isaac. And this is a critical chapter, brothers and sisters, young people. Genesis 17 is all about this phenomenal covenant that God was going to make with the children of Abraham. But at this point, the point this covenant was given in Genesis 17 and verse 1, that verse 2, your seed would multiply. Verse 4, my covenant is with you, Abraham. Verse 5, you're going to be a father of many nations. Verse 6, you'll be exceeding fruitful. Isaac's not been born. So God makes this phenomenal covenant, this phenomenal problem with Abraham. And I guess, and I can't second guess, but if I were to, in Abraham's mind at this point, maybe this was going through Ishmael. Well, look at verse 19, Genesis 17. We're now, we now come across Isaac. God said, Sarah, thy wife, she will bear a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his seed after him. So the very, very first thing, young people, we were told about Isaac here is nothing to do with him. It's that God says, this is my lineage. These are my descendants. These are my people, God says. I'm making an everlasting covenant with this boy that's going to be born to you, Isaac and with his seed after him. And so we have to become the children of Isaac. So it's a phenomenal thing, isn't it? You know, all these great promises, this great covenant in Genesis 17, verse 1 to 18. And then we get told in verse 15, God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, don't call her Sarai, call her Sarah. I will bless her. I will give a son to her. I will bless her. She shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people should be of her. Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He rejoiced, as the word means, and said in his heart, shall a child be born to him that's 100 years old? 
And shall Sarah, that's 99, bear. Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, no, no, no. He said, look, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac. And we've just read the verse. And then verse 20. And also, notice verse 20. Notice the difference in verse 20 to verse 19. So a promise is made with Ishmael. Be blessed, fruitful, multiply him. Twelve princes he will beget. I'll make him a great nation. But, but, verse 21, my covenant will I establish with Isaac. And you can see what Galatians is picking up, can't you? There's only one line that has an everlasting covenant. And we all have a spiritual birth. We're all born of the flesh. But we need to make that conscious decision to become the children of Isaac, those born of promise, a spiritual birth. And there it is. Two types of people, two covenants, two genealogies, two lineages. And you've got to make a choice. Well, let's just go back to Genesis 16 because Ishmael is here. This is verse 2. First, well, verse 1, Genesis 16, verse 1. Sarai, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. She had a handmaid, an Egyptian, Hagar. Sarah said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. This is why Galatians says that Ishmael was born of flesh. That it may be that I may obtain children by her. Notice the focus, obtaining children. And notice how, how beautiful it is that we've already read in Genesis 17. God says, no, no, no. It says, look. I'm not just going to give Sarah children. She's not just going to obtain a child. She's going to obtain a child with whom I will make my everlasting covenant. And with his seed after him. You see, God has something much greater in store than just the birth of a child. As Sarah wanted here. And end of verse 2, Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And so now of flesh is born Ishmael. Notice what we're told of him in verse 10. Here he is, verse 10. The angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceeding, that it shall be numbered, not be numbered for multitude. There's going to be this great multitude in this seed. But it doesn't say it's the seed of promise here, does it, to Ishmael? Verse 11. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, thou art with child, and you will bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, for because the Lord has heard thy affliction. And Ishmael means that God shall hear. God says, I've heard. Have Ishmael. And God heard her affliction. And then in verse 12, we're told right from the beginning the character of this man. We weren't told the character of Isaac when he's born, are we? We're just told that this is the, the seed with whom I have chosen to make my everlasting covenant. But here we're told, verse 12. This is going to be the characteristic of this man, which is why he's going to have a rival with his brother. He will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. He shall dwell in the presence to the east, it means really, of his brethren. So he says he's going to be a constant conflict. That's going to characterise the life of Ishmael. He's going to be in conflict 
in confrontation is always going to have a rivalry and, and it's going to be with his brethren to whom he will dwell in the east this is going to be a persecuting power that's going to come forth from this man and so they're going to represent brothers in conflict the conflict that goes on in my life and your life is to follow in the flesh or the promise and the spirit and so when we move to Genesis 21, we have our first real interaction between these two brothers. And we meet them together here. Genesis 21 verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God spoke to him. And Abraham <coughs> called the name of the son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bade to him Isaac. There he is, he's born. And so this conflict begins. Verse 6. Or verse 7. She said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah should have given children such, for I have borne him a son in his old age? Verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. And so Abraham makes a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And so... Galatians 4, verse 30, verse 29, sorry, comes to pass. In verse 9, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking, persecuting the son of promise. You can see the poignancy of Galatians, can't you, in the early church? And so this persecution now begins. His hand would be against his brother, as we were told it would be. And, and so it goes on. In verse 12. God said to Abram, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken to her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Notice that, that beautiful moment God there just says to reassures Abraham as he did in Genesis 17. I've made my everlasting covenant with this boy and with his seed. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. And so we start with Abraham and then we have Isaac and Ishmael and God chooses the line in which his descendants of promise would come. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the seed of the bondwoman, I will make a great nation because he is thy seed. And then what happens? Well, verse 15. Verse 14 and 15. This is what happens. They depart. It's Galatians 4 verse 30, isn't it? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman should not be heir with the son of the free woman. Yeah. This is what's going on here, isn't it? The dividing of the seed of promise from the seed of the flesh. And so, young people, we have a choice. Which seed are we? Because I'm going to put up two passages on the screen now that we all need to think very hard and consciously and deliberately about and meditate upon them concerning these two seeds these two lineages, these two genealogies. The first one is John chapter 8. And these are the Judaizers. 
right, who were persecuting the Christians. Those who had been baptized into the saving name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who had been become Abraham's seed through baptism. And so the, the Ishmael, we could almost say here, young people, Ishmael answered him. <clears throat> We'd be Abraham's seed. And they're not wrong, are they? In the natural sense, we'd be Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage. Remember Galatians, the son of the bondwoman. That was Ishmael. <clears throat> so what they're saying here is, <clears throat> they're saying we're of Abraham's seed and we're not in bondage. In other words, we're born of freedom. We are Isaac, is what they're saying. But they're not, they're Ishmael. They believed they were Isaac, but they were not. Ishmael said, we be Abraham's seed. And we're not Ishmael. We're not in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? And you notice how this is the same as the allegory of Galatians, where you've got the son of the bondwoman and the son of the free woman. Here in John 8, verse 33, we have the bondage, we have the freedom, we have all of this. This is Abraham's seed. And this is Ishmael denying his Ishmael. This is Ishmael thinking, pretending, hoping that he is Isaac because that's where the everlasting covenant lies. But they can't get rid of the law of Moses in their minds and the traditions that have been added to it. So Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house. Notice how that's picking up Genesis 21. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. And they're saying we're never in bondage, but the Lord is saying, but... You're not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. In other words, you've got to make a choice. Everyone, young people, brothers, sisters, we all day to day have to make this choice. Are we the son in the house or with the bond, the bond son, the bond woman cast out? If the son therefore make you free, ye shall be free indeed. If you follow Isaac and you're the son of promise, you will be free indeed. The liberty we have in Christ. And then he says, I know that you're Abraham's seed. Just as we know that Ishmael was Abraham's seed. But notice this, you seek to kill me. What does that mean? Well, what he's saying there is, I know you're Abraham's seed, but you're Ishmael because you're persecuting me. You're seeking to kill me. Because my word has no place in you. And I just want you to ponder that last verse just for a moment. The definite. The dividing factor here in these verses in John 8 between the son of promise and the son of bondage, the son of the flesh and the son of the spirit, is whether God's word has any place in you. So says, I know you're Abraham's seed, just as Ishmael was. You're seeking to kill me. You're persecuting me. That means you're Ishmael. And it's because my word has no place in you. Just, just take that away from this evening the place that the word of God has in us. And the second passage is Galatians 3, which precedes Galatians 4 clearly. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ. So there's neither Jew nor Greek. It says you're not divided by your nationality. There's neither bond nor free. You're not divided by your background or who you are. It says you're not even divided by gender. There's neither male nor female. It says you're all one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through baptism into Christ. So here in Galatia, you've got 
Gentiles baptized, Jews baptized. He says, you're all the same. But if you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's seed. <clears throat> and as according to the promise. So, when, so young people, what these verses are saying is, firstly, you've got to have the word of God in you. And secondly, if you want to be an Isaac, if you want to be Abraham's seed of promise, you first, first, you have to be Christ's. And then you can become an heir with the free woman and her son, the child of promise. And to be, and to be Christ's, you have to be baptised into Christ and put him on. So says, if you want to be an Isaac, you must be baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then you can become an Isaac. And then you can become an heir of all things, heir of the world, heir of the promises of God. You become part of the everlasting covenant that, that God made with Isaac and with Isaac's seed after him. That's what these two brothers do for us in scripture, young people. This is what this rivalry teaches us, that we have to make a division. We have to make a decision. We have to take this to heart. Well, <clears throat> let's just spend just a moment. We've talked about this definition as being those who persecute and those who are persecuted. We've talked about... Um, those who take the word into them. That's the definition of these two. And we've seen all these things. And I just want you to note the writer of Galatians, the one who penned it anyway. So come back with me to Galatians. Because of all people, the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, is the man in Scripture we would turn to, isn't it? as a man who was a persecuting power and then became a persecuted power. He made the transition from being Ishmael, the persecutor, to Isaac, the persecuted. Here he is in Acts 9. Let's come to Galatians. Acts 9 is on the screen. Here's, the per here's Ishmael. Here's the persecuting power. So breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples, the Isaacs, the seed of promise, he went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women. So again, he had no division between men and women. Jew or Greek. It made no difference. He's going to persecute whoever. That he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Galatians 1, here it is. It's how he begins Galatians. You've heard of my conversation, my old manner of life in time past in the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted. Here it is. He says, I was, I was Ishmael. I persecuted the church of God. I persecuted the true believers. I persecuted the seed of promise. I persecuted Isaac. And I wasted it. You see how the pattern of Genesis is coming out. Verse 23 of Galatians 1. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed the one who persecuted Isaac has become Isaac. And this is God, what God wants in each one of you and me. That we who were all born of the flesh might become the children of God, become the seed of the spirit, the children of promise. That we might make this change, not that we necessarily persecute people, but that we might become one of God's children. 
And here's the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, makes this complete change. And he, of all people, is able to say to the Galatians, I've been on both sides. Please hold on to your faith. Hold on to being Isaac. It's absolutely worth it. So here's the persecutor, Saul of Tarsus. And here's the persecuted Apostle Paul, Galatians 5. He says, I'm suffering persecution, he says. Notice that he says, I've done an absolute U-turn. I'm now Isaac. And I'm being persecuted by the Judaizers, those in the Jews' religion of whom I was chief, he says elsewhere. Acts 26, for these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. John 8, the Lord, didn't he? He says, I know you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me. And the Apostle Paul is experiencing the same thing. The Ishmaels are persecuting him, despite the fact he was an Ishmael. But he says, I'm giving birth to you, Galatians, and I want you to be Isaac. When you're born, he says, I want it to be a spiritual birth, not a fleshly, natural birth. And what I want to show you now, just for a couple of minutes, is there's, there's four conversion accounts, isn't there, of the Apostle Paul? Acts 9, 22, 26, and Galatians 1. And I want to show you something. There's a lot of detail in the next three slides, or four. But I just want to show you. All right, so this is a chiasm for Acts chapter 9. Um, verse 1 to 25, which is the conversion account. And, and what you'll notice here is it, 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 it brings us to the point where the Apostle Paul is given his mission. But notice what is either side of it. Acts chapter 9 is Paul acting like Ishmael, plotting against the Christians in Damascus. We've already read the verses on the screen, breathing out threatening and slaughter. He was Ishmael. But by the time we come to the end of his conversion account, in Acts 9, verse 19 to 25, Paul is preaching in Damascus and the Jews are plotting to kill him. You notice that transition, that he was the persecutor. Now he's the persecuted and he's made the transition from Isaac to, from Ishmael to Isaac. And he pleads with you to do the same. Acts 22. Here it's slightly different the way it's presented, but here in the middle of this chiasm structure, of Acts 22, the second conversion account. Again, he's told his missions, it has the same center point. And here he says, here I was Ishmael, I persecuted the Christians, he says in Acts 22, verse 45. And then he comes back to the same topic here, Acts 22, verse 19 to 20, he says, I was a persecutor. And he reminds them in Acts 22, that despite his mission, he was Ishmael. And then we come to Acts 26, which is a much bigger account. And that again, um, we have the same points made in Acts 26, verse 9 to 15. It says he, wouldn't, he, he says, I once persecuted the Christians. I was an Ishmael. I did it in foreign cities. I did it in Damascus. He says, I got authority from the priest to persecute. And it's the Lord who appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Says, the Lord says, I'm Isaac and you're Ishmael, you're persecuting me. He says, I want you to come with me on a journey, Paul, Saul. I want you to join me on, in the Isaac camp. And he accepts the invitation here, doesn't he? And then the very opposite hands. Uh, so then the very opposite happens. He's the one standing up and preaching, preaching Christ. He's the one getting authority from Christ to preach, not to persecute this time. He now preaches in Damascus among the Gentiles. So everything he once opposed, he's now for. Everything he was once for, he now opposed. He made a change. And God says, 
he says that the, this isn't Timothy. He says, the conversion of the Apostle Paul shows my long suffering. Lovely verse. Well, we must move on. Uh, just five or so minutes left in this session, I think, young people. Here's the fourth conversion account. We've already read most of this, but just pick up the language of Isaac and Ishmael. You heard of my conversation time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God. So that's Galatians 4. The son of flesh persecuted him that was born of the spirit, or whatever the language was. It takes us back to Genesis 21, where the one is persecuted mocking the other. So here he's saying saying these things you know he says a, pro- a prophet in the jews religion as a judaizer above many my equals in my own nation i was exe- exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers but then it says it pleased god who separated me from my mother's womb he says he gave me a new birth he took me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace why and this is the point young people i want you to take this away if you can paul says he says god called me he gave me a birth, a new birth, so that Christ might be revealed in me, to reveal his son in me, that he might become a manifestation of Christ himself, become like Christ. He says that's why this conversion took place, that I might become Christ to the Gentiles, I might become the persecuted power of God, that I might preach, he says, among the heathen, the Gentiles, so this is his mission now, to be the persecuted Isaac, to spread the word of God. And this is what Matthew 10, the Lord speaking to his disciples as he sent them on their mission, says, you will be hated of all men for my name's sake. We'll come back to this later because it was Esau that hated Jacob, right? But anyway, he, he that endures to the end will be saved. And this is the message in Galatia. Don't let the Ishmaels turn you, change you. But when they persecute you in this city, when Ishmael's come along, he says, just flee to the next city. Verily I say to you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel to the son of man become. Yeah, so, so here in Galatia, <clears throat> this is what we've got going on. We've got Jewish Christians and we've got Gentile Christians. We've all come and accepted faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have the Judaizers who are persecuting these two groups, trying to bring them back to the law. They're described as Ishmael, they're described as Levin, they're described as troublers, they're described as those who pervert the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ecclesial dynamic going on in Galatia. And so this persecution took place. And what's happened here is, just to set the context briefly, is Paul's already been to Galatia, converted them, turned them into Isaacs. Then he's gone away to preach elsewhere. The Judaizers have come in and tried to turn them back to Ishmael's. And so now there's the struggle. These two brothers are struggling within the ecclesia. And Paul says, I don't know which I'm giving birth to. And notice the emphasis in the epistle on, we've been here before Galatia. We've converted you already. Chapter 1, verse 9, as we said before, so I say it again. Chapter 2, verse 18, for I build, if I build again the things that I destroy. Chapter 4, verse 9, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements? Wherefore, ye desire again to be in bondage. He says, you're going back, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ is formed. Chapter 5, verse 1, do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Chapter 5, verse 3, for I testify again to every man. 
chapter 5, verse 21. It says, I've told you this before. See the point? It says, I've already given birth to you, but I'm willing to do it again. I'll go through the pain again. I'll go through the labor pain again, he says, for you again, 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 because I want Isaac. I don't want Ishmael. That's the point that he makes. Well, we must move on here. Acts 15, these are the Judaizers, um, those who say you must keep the law of Moses. And so if we were to summarize Galatians, this is how I would summarize it in these last couple of minutes together. They had recently been converted. They quickly then turned back to the false gospel. The Judaizers then troubled them, and so false brethren were brought in to spy out their freedom, to bring them back to bondage by bewitching them to not obey the truth. The apostles, we told in chapter 2, didn't listen to the Judaizers. And so the Judaizers persecute to the point where even Peter gave in to them. We read that, didn't we? Peter gave in to them and didn't eat with the Gentiles. The Judaizers wanted a Jewish-Gentile separation. And they wanted the Gentiles to live like Jews and to, and to enforce the traditions of the Jews upon them. They didn't walk according to the gospel and they wanted to make a show in the flesh. And in any case, and so we come to chapter four, finally, to this allegory. Abraham had two sons. There it is in verse 22. Abraham had two sons. And this is what we're told. He had Isaac and Ishmael. The one represented the law and bondage. The other the gospel and freedom. The one persecuted and the one persecutes. One is cast out, one becomes an heir. And ultimately, young people, each person who comes to read the scriptures has to choose which of Abraham's sons they're going to choose to be. We've read those words. And so we have this allegory. There's two women, Hagar and Sarah. One's a bond slave, one's a free woman. We have two mountains, Arabia and Sinai, and Zion in the promised land. We have two covenants, the one in Sinai, which bonds, which genders to bondage and slavery, the latter that kills. And Zion is the second covenant, which has a spiritual birth, gives life, has sons. There's two cities, Jerusalem as it is now, and Jerusalem that is to come. And there's two sons, Ishmael the flesh, cast out, Isaac of the spirit who's an heir of the everlasting covenant. And so our hope, young people, if we choose to be Isaac, is that we will come to Zion in the promised land, is that we'll be a son of the Spirit, we'll be an heir with Christ of all things, that we will be partakers of Jerusalem, which is to come. It's really the same. And so Isaiah 51 says, Look unto Abraham your father, look unto Sarah that bare you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. We'll skip over this because of time, but I just want to make a point to you as we finish this session. We're going to look at Jacob and Esau next. But notice what happens in Genesis 28. So Abraham has two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac has a son, Esau. Ishmael has a daughter, Mahalath. And the Ishmael line marries into the Esau line. Genesis 28 verse 9, then went Esau unto Ishmael. And so here we have these two lines coming together, Esau and Ishmael, and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife. And so these two lines of flesh merge together and cleave together. And so the warning is there. And ultimately, young people, I want you to take this away from the book of Galatians and what it says about these two brothers. 
there's another chiasm at the beginning of Galatians 1 verse 1 to 12. And the center point is that glory must go to God. And this is the purpose of Galatians, isn't it? That God's son might be revealed in us as we develop our characters. That others might glorify God in us because of us. Galatians 2, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. This is, this, these are the Isaacs, young people. Those who show the character of God and the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. That's the true son of Isaac, the true son of Abraham. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we've already read this, haven't we? Galatians 4.49. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ is formed in you, that we might be demonstrations of Christ in our lives. And so we conclude with two other verses. Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Notice that. It's really important, that verse, because it describes Isaac as the only begotten son. The same description of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those of Isaac are those of Christ, the beloved sons of God, the seed of Abraham, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. This is our choice, young people, that we might make. I want to leave you with these words in Exodus. Because what we find in Galatians is that the Galatians at this moment in time were acting like Ishmael, not Isaac. And it was something for them to ponder. And it doesn't end, does it, with Isaac and Ishmael? Because we've just seen we've got Jacob and Esau to come. Every generation has this battle, this struggle, this rivalry that takes place, represented by these brothers. And we all have this choice to make. And, and, and I just want you to notice Exodus 3. The burning bush, God appears to Moses. What does he say? As he pleads with him to go from Midian back to Egypt, he says, I am the God of thy father. He says, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. And I'm the God of Jacob. Notice God doesn't say, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Ishmael, and the God of Esau. I'm the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And this is the appeal of Galatians to you and to me, that if we become of Isaac's seed, then we are of God. We are his children. So when we're deciding in people, our futures and our relationships with God and our friendships, remember that God's offered to you is that he will be your God, the God of Isaac, if you choose to be Isaac. Because in Isaac shall Abraham's seed be called. And, and notice this, just the next verse. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Notice that. I've seen Ishmael persecuting Isaac. This time it's Egypt against Israel. And God says, I've seen how my people have been persecuted as Isaac was. And I've heard their cry. I know their sorrows. And he says, I'm coming to deliver them. And that's God's promise to those who are of Isaac's seed, that though they might suffer persecution and mocking, or worse, God says, I'm coming. I'm coming to deliver them. When Isaac is persecuted, young people, God sees, God hears, and God knows 
and he comes down to deliver. So let's make our choice, Isaac or Ishmael.